All right, so we're talking about neighboring, and I'm sure um, you might be wondering, why are we talking about neighboring? That's kind of a weird, um, weird sermon series, I think. Um, it's kind of our first one of its kind, but um, as Jim mentioned, or I think he might have mentioned, but we've been talking about this series for a couple years now, since really before we decided to, or right when we were in the planning stages of launching uh, journey. We've been reading this book right here. It's called The Art of Neighboring, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it today. Uh, we have copies of it up back if you want to buy it. Um, it's just what we paid for. We're not making money off the book or anything. But um, neighboring is an interesting uh, concept. Last weekend, um, we had a barbecue next door. You might have been aware of it. It was awesome. Uh, we had the million burgers, and ribs, and it was just the greatest time. And so planning for that, we thought we needed some power. So I got my generator out, and I said, Jim, can you come help me get this generator on my truck? Because it's huge, and I can't lift it by myself. And everyone made fun of me because you can't get your own generator in your truck. But it's heavy. So Jim comes over, and we get it in the back of my truck, and we go over to the parking lot, and we didn't actually need it because there was power right there. So um, I just left it in the back of my truck, and we had a great time, a barbecue, and then I went straight from there to um, my niece's birthday party. And so we didn't get home till 5.30, 6 o'clock, something like that. And I looked, and I was like, oh, I still have that generator in the back of my truck. And I had to go to uh, Portland the next day for work, so I was going to be there for a couple of days. So I really needed to get this generator out of the back of my truck. So I had a couple options that I kind of looked at. I thought I could make a ramp, maybe, and I got some two-by-fours. I didn't have any two-by-sixes, and I thought, nope, that will kill me if I try that. So I didn't do that, and I thought I could make a little pulley system and, like, lower it down, and that didn't work either. So then I thought maybe I could back up. My front lawn kind of slopes down a little bit, so I thought if I back up, like, the lawn will be higher than the tailgate, and maybe I could, and that didn't work either, obviously. So I did what any self-respecting man would do. I sat on my tailgate, and I hoped someone would drive by and take pity on me. And after a couple minutes, a guy did. He drove by. And, and as I sat there, I thought, man, I really wish I kind of knew my neighbors a little better than I do. Like, I thought I knew my neighbors really well. Like, I'm kind of one of those people that I think I know my neighbors well. And it dawned on me at that moment that I didn't really know them as well as I thought I did. And so this guy pulls up, and he says, hey, do you need some help with that? And I was like, oh, thank you, God. Yes, I do. So he hopped out, gloves and all, and we got it off the truck. And, and I was like, thank you so much. I was like, I don't know if we've really officially met. My name's Brian. And he said, oh, my name's Chad, and it's nice to meet you. And I see him walk his dog like every single day. But I didn't know what his name was. And I would refer to Gretchen, like if I ever saw him or I saw him like at the store, I would say, like who I thought his last name was, which it's not his last name, but she always knew who I was talking about when I mentioned this guy by his incorrect last name. So now I know his real first name, and so I kind of took one step towards getting to know him. And so neighboring is interesting, and I think Jim mentioned it, that we believe that neighboring could really be one of the smallest but simplest ways to really change the world. We think that this has potential to change the world and that you guys could actually change the world through this series. If you kind of listen to the things um, and some of the practices we're going to talk about, but we think it has huge potential to kind of move us towards, um, towards changing the world. And in your uh, bulletin, as you walked in, you guys got this fancy little shiny magnet. I hope if you didn't, there's some on the back table, and I really want every, at least every household to get one of these, okay? So before we get kind of too far into the message, we're going to do a little exercise. How many people think you know your neighbors pretty well? You can raise your hand. All right, I see some hands. I like that. 
So we're going to challenge you in that, and I might prove you out to be a liar. So no offense. But so he, you take this little magnet. So it says you are here. It's kind of like a map. So picture your house right there. Okay. Then think about the eight neighbors that live closest to you. Okay. What are their names? Do you know their first names? When I first saw this, I was like, piece of cake. And then I knew one of their names. <laughs> one of them. And I'm a little bit of a cheater. Like, I, I, I am a little exception to the rule. My wife lived in our house. You know, she grew up there. And so she knows every neighbor that's still around that. So she could go and fly through this. But because she's kind of a cheater that way. She lived there. So she knows those things. But as I thought, I was like, well, I know, like, that guy drives a, a gray Silverado. Um, that guy... He's, uh, he's got a bunch of daughters, you know, and, and then those people live really far back, and they're the reason we lost power for, you know, about eight hours one day when he was trimming limbs. And so I didn't really know their names, right? So they say that about 10% of people can actually name all eight of their closest neighbors. 10%, okay? So let's say there's 100 people in here. I'm not good at math, but I think that's 10 people about out of every 100 would know their actual neighbor's names, okay? And then only 3% can actually name something personal about those people, something personal. Like, um, I know the people across the street, they have two sons and a daughter, and, um, and what he does for work, maybe. I don't really know what he does for work, but I'm hoping to gain that through this series. So, but only 3% can name what, something personal about their neighbors, okay? And then... If you go even further down from that, only 1% of people can say that they know something personal about their neighbor that they gained through a conversation with that neighbor, not through another neighbor, right? Not through neighborhood gossip. So only 1% of people, that's kind of, that's staggering. That's, we don't know our neighbors, right? Like I thought I knew my neighbors, but I really don't. And the other day I drove um, after Chad and I had our interaction and he helped me. I was driving down the street with Gretchen, and I was like, so the boss is, what's, what's his first name? So she told me. And I was like, what about the guy across the street? What's his first name? And so I, I know all the first names of the guys that live around me now that I didn't know before. And I know that's a little bit cheating, but it's my kind of way to start out to say, you know what, I'm going to make an effort to get to know these people. Because how can you love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor, right? How can you love them if you don't even know them, if you don't even know their name? So we're going to look at a story real quick in, uh, in Luke chapter 10. You know, this is a story that I know I preached on uh, a number of months ago. Um, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. So we're going to kind of do it at a little bit higher level than we did before. But it starts out, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law. So a guy, he knew it well, right? So he knew the law. He knew all that's in it. He knew what it meant. And he stood up to test Jesus. Now I got to tell you, that's a bad idea, Right? If you've read the Bible, you know that's not a great idea because he's probably going to prove you wrong or make a fool of you by trying to test him. But he tried to test Jesus and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, doing what he does, he flips it around. He answers his question with a question. He's like, well, what's written in the law? You're the expert. Like, what does it say? And so he says, you know, Jesus says, how do you read it? Like, what do you think it means? And he goes on and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. So that's the first part. And then he goes on, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the expert kind of in the law saying this. So he says, 
you know, and, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. So he answers his question by asking a question and saying, you already know this, basically. Like, why are you even asking me? So he says, oh, okay, if I do this, like, I'll live. But then he goes on and says, the guy wants to justify himself, right? So, but he wants to justify himself because all of us want to kind of know like the nitty gritty of it, right? He wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? When I read this, it kind of reminds me of my daughter when she says, can I have a cookie after dinner? And I say, well, you have to eat your dinner. She says, well, how much of it? Like how many bites do I actually have to eat till I can get a cookie? Like I'm not going to eat all of it, but how, like I, I don't want to eat five bites if I only have to eat four, right? And so he wants to justify himself. And so before we get to the rest of the story, um, you know, it's kind of like he says, who of my neighbors? Like I have a list here, you know, there's eight houses that are like directly either beside me across the street or diagonal. Which one of those do I actually have to love? Like, I don't want to love all of them. That's so many people. Who do I actually have to love? Now, this, the story kind of goes on, and we're not going to read the whole story, uh, but it goes on with this guy, and he, um, he's on his way uh, up to Jericho, and he gets mugged. He gets beat up, and it's on this really rugged road that's got a lot of twists and turns, and people hide there, and they mug you, and they steal all your stuff. So this guy gets robbed. He's beaten within a, an inch of his life, basically. And then uh, a number of people kind of come up upon him and walk by. So the first is a priest, and he walks up, and he goes to the other side of the road. He's like, I'm in my nice robe. Like, I can't deal with that right now. I'm already late to the temple or whatever. And then the Levite comes up, and he does the same thing. So these two kind of religious types, uh, leaders, um, they just kind of go around it because they can't really be inconvenienced with it. But then a Samaritan man Stops, And this is kind of a big deal because Jews and Samaritans, they didn't mix. They weren't like friends. They didn't talk to each other. But this Samaritan kind of comes up and he says, you know, he sees this guy in need and he stops and he helps him. He bandages him up. He gets him, you know, so that he can stand maybe. And he hops him up on his donkey and he brings him into an inn and he takes care of him for the night. So he stays with him overnight, changes his plans and he's with him. And then he pays the innkeeper. He's like, here's some money. Take care of him for a couple of days. I'll be back. And if you incur any extra expense, I'll pay for it. I'm good. I'm good for it. Take care of my friend here. And so then we'll pick it back up. And he says, Jesus tells him, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Right? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And so like you and I would say, Well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So this guy, he asks Jesus, who's my neighbor? Like, who actually is my neighbor that I really need to love? And instead of Jesus saying, all right, well, it's Tom across the street, you know, Bill, and the guy with the annoying dog, you know, it's those people that you need to love. He he flips it around and he asks him a question. And he gives him Um, some more tips. He doesn't tell him who his neighbor is, but he shows an example of how to love your neighbor. And it's kind of an example more of how do you love your neighbor than telling you exactly who your neighbor is. But we all know, and and we've kind of heard messages on this before, I've preached this before, that, you know, this could be Jesus saying, like, all people, we need to love them. We need to love people that you come in contact with. And that's true. We should love 
the, the moms that you see when you pick up your kids after school every day. You should love the kid behind the register at the grocery store. You should love, you know, the people that own the restaurant that, you know, got your order incorrect. You should love the people, the unexpected people that maybe you come up uh, and you see on the side of the road or you're walking here or there. And yes, that is true, that we should love those people. But here's the question. What if, like, what if, when Jesus said to love your neighbor, he meant your actual neighbor. Have you thought about it that way? What if when Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, he meant the people that live next door to you? Now, maybe you live in an apartment, right? Maybe you're, you're like, ah, oh, I'm kind of exempt from this. I don't have a house. I don't have neighbors. Like maybe he meant the people that live across the hall from you. Maybe he means the people that share the same wall with you that you probably know all kinds of information about because that wall is not quite as thin as they think it is, right? Or maybe you're a college student and you're in the dorm and you have neighbors that live on all sides of you. Maybe Jesus meant to love your actual neighbors. Maybe you live on a road, and we talked about this uh, with Seth and I. We were talking this morning. What if you live on a road where your closest neighbor is like, 500 yards down the road maybe he's saying that that's who you need to love we all have neighbors of some kind and i'm, I'm wondering like what if we've kind of missed the point of this that instead of thinking you know jesus is saying we need to love all people and we need to go and just love all these other people but we haven't really thought maybe i need to love the people who are closest to me what if we're supposed to show this kind of love to the neighbor across the street Right, who, or maybe they're an elderly couple and they can't get out in the wintertime to get food as often as they should. Or maybe it's the, the family next door who lost a child or lost a parent. Maybe it's those people that we are called to love. And so, again, with this book, The Art of Neighboring, there's a story in here. This is written by a pastor, and uh, so it's, it's very pastorly written. There's another book up back that um, is written kind of by another pastor, but it's a little more um, practical in some of these things. But in this book, there's a story where this guy, he's a pastor in uh, like Denver, Colorado, and he gets together with a bunch of other pastors. And they say, let's go to the city. Let's go to the town and see how we can, you know, change the city, right? Let's, let's take on Denver and do all this stuff to change the world, right? And so they meet with this, the mayor of the town. And he, they say, you know, we got all these congregations and we're a bunch of churches, but we want to come together and we want to do something awesome for the town. Like what do you envision would be something that we could do to kind of impact our community? And so the, the mayor, he kind of goes through a, diff, a few different things and it doesn't really say if he's a Christian. I don't think he was, but, and so he's kind of like, well, you know, we have these programs and you could volunteer here, I guess. And we have this going on. And, and then at the end of it, he said something just kind of in passing, like not really knowing what he was saying, maybe. He just kind of passes it on. He's like, well, you know, really, if you guys just could set up some sort of neighboring program, like if you guys could just get people to be good neighbors, like we wouldn't need all this extra stuff. And so you have this group of pastors. I think there was like 15 of them maybe in this room who then are sitting there asking their city leader what they could do to help. And the city leader tells them to love their neighbors. Like, if that's not, you know, kind of awkward, as your life's work is to follow the words of Jesus, and Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, and then you're asking the city what you could do, and he says, love your neighbor. 
right? Because relationships always trump programs. That's what he's saying, is that all of these things that go on in the world and in our communities, different programs, they spring up all the time. People get funding because, you know, shut-ins, maybe they can't get out to get their food. And so they develop these programs and they get a grant for it. And then these people are starting to get food and it's great. But then the grant runs out and then the program dies off, you know, a couple years later. And then they're left with wondering, how are we going to feed these people? But if we could kind of develop this neighboring philosophy where instead of, you know, uh, you know, Tom and Sally, instead of them going to the food cupboard to get their food, if their neighbors would take a look and, and know what situation they were in and took pity on them and loved them and brought them in, they wouldn't need to go get that sort of thing. If our neighbors, if we could just develop uh, a system to maybe have neighbors be neighbors and be neighborly, we wouldn't need all these extra programs. And I'm not trying to say that these government-run programs aren't needed and they're not valuable. I think they're needed because we tend to ignore our neighbors. We tend to drive down our street, we wave, you smile, and then you keep going. And you don't even know their name, even though you see them every single day. If we could just equip people to be in tune with the needs that are across the street or maybe next door to us, instead of just giving to all these organizations that don't, you know, we don't see faces and we don't feel the burden of the needs, we could really change the world. Because think about it this way. If we try to love everybody, if you're so focused on just loving everyone, then oftentimes you end up loving no one at all. If you, you, you try to focus on just loving everyone, we often end up loving nobody because you, you, can't, you can't hit the mark. And if we're not intentional about it, then we end up just having this metaphorical love for these people and our metaphorical neighbors, but nothing actually gets done. Very little gets done. So listen, these are some other things that they learned from that. These are some like statistics, if you will, about uh, neighboring that they learned from some government um, people like town managers and stuff like that. They said this, the people who have close bonds with their neighbors live longer. Think about that. Just knowing your neighbors can make you live longer. Who doesn't want to live longer? I do. I'd like to live a little bit longer. And if you, it's just by knowing your neighbors. Or about this, where people know the names of their neighbors, crime is 60% lower. 60% lower if you just know your neighbors. That makes me wonder, who's doing the crime in those neighborhoods where they don't know each other? Is it because they're robbing each other? Because they don't know each other? They don't have any bond or any connection? But people who know the names of their neighbors, crime 60% lower. Or when natural disasters strike, your neighbors are your first responders. If something crazy happens, your, your house burns down and, and our earthquakes happen, your neighbors are the people that are already there. They're already there. Wouldn't you want to know that your neighbor is, is, has a, is invested in you, in your life? and you and theirs, so that when disaster strikes, and maybe not even a natural disaster, but maybe something happens in your life, like a, uh, a loss in the family. Who better than your closest neighbors to come and, and help you through that? Process that with you. And this one struck me as, as, I didn't really know how to take this one, that there's no visible difference between Christian and non-Christian neighbors. There's no visible difference between people who have a moral obligation 
a, an obligation of belief system that tells them to do this than people who don't, right? Like that we are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves, where these non-Christian people, they're not. They're not commanded to do that. They don't, they don't have that same belief system, but there's no visible difference between the two groups. Why is that? Because I think it's, it's a far easier than we think it is, right? Like we get so amped up and we look at our neighborhoods kind of like, um, I, I heard it likened to an elevator syndrome. Has anyone heard of elevator syndrome? When you get in an elevator, you just assume the other person's weird, right? But you get in that elevator and you're like, I don't know who that is. Why is he in here with me? Why is he going? He's going to the same floor I am. He must be following me, right? Like it's awkward. No one likes elevators, and even elevators with not even the cheesy music playing. And then you're like, this is so weird. And so you see your neighbor and you're like, oh, I'm going to get my mail. He's walking his dog. We're going to converge. Like, this is weird. What if he's weird? What if he thinks I'm weird? It's like you're going on a first date when really you just want to say hello. Just meet them. And it's so, it's so easy to just go from one stage to another. You just say, hey, I'm, I'm Brian. I don't think we've met before. And then he tells you his name. Hey, I'm Chad. And you go from stranger to an acquaintance, right? Like, you don't have to go from stranger to best friend. Me and Chad aren't hanging out tonight, okay? We're not hanging out tonight and having dinner. Maybe in the future we might. That would be kind of nice. And we've talked about having a block party or whatever on our neighborhood. But we're not quite there yet. I just learned his first name. And I still don't know his last name. I think it's Webb, but it's not. So... It just takes one step to go to acquaintance. And then maybe if I see him walking his dog next, I can go check my mail then. And I'll say, hey, Chad, how's it going? And I can learn his dog's name, right? And then maybe I can learn his wife's name. And then maybe the things that I know about him, I could bring those into a conversation, say, oh, you, you coach girls basketball, right? Because I know things about him that I know about him, but not because he's talked to me about them. And then we can go from just being acquaintances to having a relationship. It's a little bit easier than we think it is, but it begins with saying hello. So Matthew in chapter 22, there's, there's another instance of kind of this same, um, this same thing where a guy, he's trying to trick Jesus again, and he asks Jesus, he says, um, I don't know if I have it up on the slide or not. He says, he tries to trick Jesus, and he says, um, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Like, what's number one? on the list. Like there's a whole bunch of them and that's just a lot. Like what's the number one commandment? Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he goes on and he says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. It's just like it. It's almost like that one's number one and this one's kind of like 1.5, right? Or 1.2. He says, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the laws, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You don't need to be concerned with this whole list. He says, if you do these two things right, the rest of them are there. The rest of them are being fulfilled. You've got those. Those are covered. But as Christians, we're called to this. These are commands that come from Jesus, the guy who lived who was crucified, who died, who rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of people. He said, and he commanded us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he even said, it's one of the top two things that you need to concern yourself with. 
So we have an obligation to do it. It's, it's kind of our duty. This should be our bread and butter, right? Like this should be what we are known for. That statistic that says that non-Christians and Christians, there's really no difference. There should be a difference. When people see us, they should say, those are the Christians that just love their neighbors like, like crazy. That almost when you're looking to buy a house, you're looking for the neighborhood where the Christians live, right? Like you want to be in that neighborhood. I grew up on, in, uh, in Bangor and the, like, the Fairmount neighborhood, and that was like a desirable neighborhood because it had a nice park and whatever. And, and so like, that should be the Christian neighborhood. People want to live, live next to Christian neighbors. That's how it should be, but it's not. There's really no difference between who those neighbors are. And we kind of don't look at neighboring the way that we look at like the Great Commission, right? Like if you know what the Great Commission is, it's kind of that point in time when Jesus, he sends them out and he says, go into all nations and make disciples. And so we take that and we think, oh, like if I'm going to do that, I got to go to like third world Africa somewhere. And I don't really want to do that, Jesus. I'm not the missionary type, right? But we're all called to love. We're all called to be missionaries in our own communities on our own streets. Charles Spurgeon, he's a, he's a great preacher from like the 1800s. He's written books and things like that. He said this, that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Think about that. You're either a missionary or an imposter. You're either sharing the love of Jesus or you're just an imposter. Apostor. You're either sharing the love or you're not. Like you're either for Jesus or you're against him, the Bible says. You're either sharing his love or you're not. You're either a missionary or an imposter. And that doesn't mean you need to move to the odd ends of the world. That's not what this is saying. If you're not a Christian here today, I want to challenge you in this, that you might be kind of off the hook on this whole what Jesus commands you to do thing. Like you might be off the hook on that, but I want to challenge you to be a good neighbor because think about it this way. It's fun. It's fun. When you have good neighbors, it's fun. You enjoy being home. You enjoy the conversations. You enjoy knowing that if you go on vacation, someone's got an eye on your house, right? Or if something like bad happens, that you know people are there. I used to joke with uh, my wife's parents, my in-laws, that when they were out of town one time, I went over and they gave me a TV and they, they gave me and Gretchen the TV for our new apartment and stuff. And I remember going in, and I didn't know the alarm system code. And so I'm walking out the front door of their house with a TV in my arms, and the alarm's just blaring. And I'm texting Gretchen. I don't even know if they had texting them, but I'm calling or something, trying to get the code to this thing. And I was like, oh, whatever. And so I remember telling Gary, I was like, you don't have very good neighbors. I walked right out the front door with a TV, alarms blaring, and no one even batted an eye. No one even told them about it. But wouldn't that be nice if we had the types of relationships with our neighbors where we had their back, we were invested in them, our kids played together, we trusted them, and they trusted us? So whether you're a Christian or not, it shouldn't matter. We should all be on that same page of wanting to have good neighbors and be good neighbors. But many of us have kind of given up on that hope that we can actually change the world. Have, how many of you, when you were in high school, and maybe you're in high school today, or you're going into high school, and you think that you have big plans, that God has big plans for your life? Like, I lay in bed sometimes, and I think, I know I'm made for more than what I'm doing right now, right? Like, have you ever had that? Or maybe you think that that's lost, and many of us have kind of given up hope on the thought that we can actually change the world. Because, you know, when do you have time to do something that huge? 
right? Like, I can barely get my son to take a shower on a weekly basis, right? Like, how am I supposed to change the world when I have that? Like, I can barely get up in the morning, shower, out the door, at work on time, and you want me to change the world? Like, that's just, it's not happening, right? But the reality is that we can all change the world right from our front doorstep, right from our house, that if we can change the lives of eight people, and then those eight people can change the lives of their eight people, and then those eight people, and it gets, and it grows, and it grows. We can all change the world. And here's why. Because in in the book of Acts, we're going to look at a scripture here. In the book of Acts, it says something completely profound. And, And it says this, from one man, he made all the nations. God, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. The whole earth is ours. He has made it. He gave it to us. And he marked out their appointed times in history. Okay. God put you here in this time for a reason. He put you here for a reason. I remember Gretchen and I were watching a Western movie like a couple weeks ago. And I remember I probably said it out loud. Like I could not imagine living in that time. Like I could not imagine what it would have been like to live at that time period or in the 1700s or the the 1400s. I couldn't imagine what that would be like. And God is saying, you know what, Brian? You would not have survived more than a week. And that's why you were born in 1984. We thought that was a good time for you to be born. He knew that. He knew when you should be born. He knew when my son should be born. He knew when your grandchildren should have been born. He marked out your appointed time in history, and the boundaries of their lands. He knows where you're at. He picked that. He helped you get to that point. Your neighbors are your neighbors for a reason. You are there for a reason. And maybe you're moving, and that's awesome. And maybe God's blessed you, and you can, you can move and maybe get a bigger house, and that's great. But God has a plan for that house. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for the the yard that you're looking at developing. He's got a plan for the neighbors that are going to live next door. Or maybe they're going to move away and you're going to get a new neighbor that's going to live there. God has a plan for your specific neighborhood, but it takes you stepping out and doing a part of that. You've got a piece in that. I I read a a brilliant quote this week. Um, I don't have it up on the, the thing. I wasn't going to use it, but then I decided to use it. So, But it's this quote that says, uh, it's, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it it's basically sums it up like this, is that as you have more, as God has given you more, maybe you're moving to a bigger house. Maybe your family's grown. But as you are get more, it says, build bigger tables instead of taller fences. As you kind of get, you know, you, you hit that phase in life when maybe money is a little bit easier, Instead of going and building the bigger house with more land, more space between you and your neighbors, build a bigger table instead of a taller fence. Maybe use that land to have more parties, have more people over, have more people be able to stay over at your house, have more room for kids to play. Instead of you know, building this bigger house with a bigger refuge. And Jim's going to talk about this, so I'm not going to steal his thunder. But instead of making your house just this fortress of solitude where you go to relax and get away from the world, make it a place where you go to interact with your friends, with your neighbors. Invite people into that. Because God's placed you there for a reason. And you never know what God's going to do through that group of people. 
And so this magnet, it's a magnet. It will stick to some refrigerators, not those nice stainless steel ones anymore. But on the side of your refrigerator maybe, or maybe on your door if you've got a metal door, plop it on the inside of your door so you see it every day when you go out. But we want you guys to take this home and to put it up and to be reminded of this. And the goal is that you could start with learning someone new's name. Maybe it's just learning one name this week. That would be my challenge, is that when you come back next Sunday, and I hope you do, is that you will know one new person's name, and that you didn't ask your wife what their name was, or you didn't ask your husband. But you will meet them, and you'll say, hi, I'm, I'm Brian. What's your name? And you'll meet that person. And then maybe in a week or two, you can add another name to that list. Or maybe on that person's house, you can write their name, and you can write something about them. Like, oh, that's Angie. She moved here from Minnesota. She's got two kids. Her husband's an air traffic controller. Like, maybe that's what you can write down because you met someone and one thing led to another and you had a great conversation. But that's our challenge to you this week. And next week, Jim's going to be here and he's going to uh, bring a new perspective on this and kind of the, uh, what all of this means and the potential that we can have if we start reaching out and really loving our neighbors. All right, so I'm going to pray real quick and Jim's going to come up and he's going to close this out. God, we love you. We thank you that you marked out our time and our place, God. We thank you that you have uh, brought people into our lives, people that maybe uh, we're excited to meet. And we thank you for the people that we are very much not excited to meet, God. But we pray that you will break our hearts for our neighbors, that we will look at them as opportunities to share your love with them. Just pray for a great week. Pray that uh, this magnet will be a reminder to step out of our comfort zones this week and maybe step into someone's life. In Jesus' name, amen.